Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Fantastic. Well, I am excited today to share a message with you that I shared with our staff this week. It started out just as a small thought that I wanted to share with the staff. Then it became a message and I thought, actually, this, this is really important, I believe, not only for our leaders, but also for every person who calls himself a Christian. And I've picked up, I want to pick up on something that Pastor Shane Willard shared last week. Who enjoyed Shane Willard last week? Whose minds were just a little bit blown and hearts just a little bit warm towards the Word of God? I know for me, it was a profound, profound moment. But he said many profound things. And I want to pick up on one of them because with all the things that he said, this one was probably overlooked. And he said this, he said, Many are happy to cling to the cross of Christ but they're not happy to pick up their own cross. Does anyone remember Shane saying that? Personally, I wish it was one of those things he didn't say, but he did say it. And it got me thinking to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, He said, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, what I'm about to say may sound a little bit heretical, but I want you to bear with me. I believe that we would have a stronger faith if we stopped going to the cross and started picking up our cross. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't go to the cross, but when we only go to the cross of Jesus and we're thankful for what Jesus did, we thank you for Him picking up His cross. That's fantastic. That's a great starting place. But if we want to have victory and breakthrough in our lives, we have to know what it is to pick up our own cross. We need to be forever grateful that Jesus picked up His But as the followers of Christ, we have to remember to pick up our cross. Jesus picking up His cross is no excuse for us not to pick up ours. In actual fact, He is the example for us to pick up our cross. Amen? Does that sound good? And so today I want to just break that down and look at what that means and what that looks like. Because let's be honest, in Adelaide in 2021 and into the near future, I doubt that any of us are actually going to be crucified on a cruel Roman cross such as Jesus and many of the disciples were. I don't think that's going to happen. And yet Jesus said we need to pick up our cross. So so what does that look like? And I believe with all of my heart, the picture we paint is more important than the words we speak. You know, we can quote Scripture and put the wrong picture in people's mind. I was talking to a young man just this week about the will of God for his life. And uh, I said, hey, do you have any thoughts about your future? And he said, "Uh, yeah, I do, but I don't really know what to do. And so I just take every one day at a time. And that's a classic young person answer. And there's nothing wrong with that answer. But I did say to him this, I said, When it comes to the will of God, it is a straight and narrow path because the Bible tells us it's a straight and narrow path. But I don't know about you, what kind of picture does that paint for you? I don't know about you, but when I hear about a straight and narrow path, I think of a guy on a tightrope who doesn't have a a lot of room to get it wrong. And sometimes we think the will of God is like that. I I can't make any any decision that is wrong. Otherwise, I'm just going to fall into hell. And we can get that picture by quoting the Bible. And so I said to this young man, I said, hey, let me repaint that picture for you. The straight and narrow path, I believe, is a little bit more like a multi-lane highway. And I said, Kath and I have had the privilege more recently to move down to the beach. We're in semaphore there. And when we leave from here to the beach, there's a section of the uh, connector that is four lanes. 
And do you know, I can go in any one of those four lanes and get to semaphore. If I go in the right lane, the left lane, or either one of the two middle lanes, I can get to semaphore because I'm going in the right direction. And so it's not, it's not so narrow. Now, granted, if I, if I veer off to South Road, I'm not going to get to semaphore. But if I stay on that connector, I'm going to get to semaphore no matter what lane I'm in. And, and what I find is as we grow and as we mature, God leads us into more specifics when it comes to the will of God. I said, how does that sound? He said, oh, so much better. And we just talked about what he's doing now and what he needs to do to finish university and what that could look like afterwards. Because I don't believe some of the pictures that we paint by quoting the Scriptures actually are helpful. So I'm grateful for the Word of God, but we need to make sure that we are painting the right pictures in order for people to understand what God is saying. So I want to read a passage of Scripture and hopefully land it that will help us here in 2021 to carry our cross. How does that sound? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 21. If not, look on the screens, that would be great. But in John 21, it says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you more. Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And here it is the third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter, I want you to get this. He turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And because of this, a rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die, only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? I, I, I want to I get something out of this Scripture today that will hopefully land it for us and help us to pick up our cross. Because Jesus said we do have a cross to carry, but what does that look like for us in 2021 and going into 2022? We see reading this passage of Scripture, Jesus asked Peter a question three times and the result was Peter was excited. Peter was grateful. Peter was thankful, as all good Christians should be. No, he wasn't. He was hurt. Turn to the person next to you, look at them with a sad face and say, he was hurt. Here's my question to you. Was Jesus being mean? No. Was Jesus angry? No. Was Jesus furious and was he upset? No. 
And yet, Peter was hurt. And we know that Jesus loved Peter deeply. And yet he was still hurt. The question is, why was Peter hurt when Jesus was just talking to him, when Jesus was loving him, and yet he was hurt? And the reason is because Peter, like many of us, was in his feelings. Now, I want to say this categorically, that feelings in and of themselves are not bad, but they do need to be managed. Feelings are never bad, but they do need to be managed. And if you don't manage your feelings, our feelings will manage us. And we see in this moment, Peter's feelings are managing his life instead of him managing his own. He should have been able to say, hey, I know Jesus loves me. But he put all that aside because he was just hurt and he let his emotion get the better of him. And I, I love this moment because Jesus, instead of getting mad, uses this moment as a teaching moment for Peter. But I believe for all of us in the room today and everyone watching online, he uses it as an opportunity to teach what it means for us to personally carry our cross. Now, Peter went on to pick up a literal cross. In actual fact, historians and theologians tell us that Peter refused to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus and requested that be crucified upside down, which in and of itself is quite mind-blowing and it highlights the growth in Peter's life. But up until that moment, there was lots of carrying his cross moments. And those carrying his cross moments are seen in this moment right here. And this moment right here is probably one that you and I are going to carry more so than being crucified on a Roman cross. To carry our cross successfully and persistently, we need to understand a few things. I want to highlight four of them this morning from this passage of Scripture. And the first one is simply this, that love hurts. We see that in verse 17, Peter was hurt. Turn to the person next to you and say, love hurts. Peter was hurt by Jesus' words, although Jesus wasn't being angry, Jesus wasn't mad, and Jesus loved Peter, and yet he was still hurt, which tells me that love, true love, true biblical love, following Jesus, doing the right thing, can and will hurt at times. Why? Because love represents closeness. Love represents intimacy. And that's why it hurts so much, because we are close to those that we love. When someone abuses you, you don't really know. It might hurt for a little bit, but it doesn't really sting because you don't really know them. How many of you would agree with me that we have been hurt more by those that we are closest to than those that are at a distance? Would that be fair to say? And that's why it hurts, because we are so close. And the closer we are to someone, the more open to hurt we'll become. Not only does it hurt more, but there's more opportunity to get hurt. I know for me, those that are closest in my life, the ones I love the most, are the ones that hurt me the most. Why? Because they hate me? Not at all. But because we are close. And it's a twofold thing. I know as a parent... I know the pain it is to receive discipline, but I also know as a parent the pain it is to give discipline. In actual fact, when I was a child and my dad was disciplining me, he'd say this, he said, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I did not understand that as a child. I thought, there's no way what you are doing right now hurts you more than me. I'm in pain right now. But as I became a parent myself, I realise that there is a pain not only in receiving discipline, but in giving discipline. 
Love hurts both ways. And we see Jesus was committed to the disciples and he had many conversations that brought pain to his disciples, particularly Peter. On one occasion, when Peter was getting all excited about his future and he chastised Jesus, he said, Jesus, you're not going to go to cross, you're not going to die. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, wow, that, that's got to hurt. If I looked at any of you in the eye and said, you are the devil, I mean, that's got to hurt. So Jesus bought that. But he also experienced pain himself because love hurts. Jesus going to the cross because he loved others hurt him. Jesus quite literally picked up his cross and in so doing brought a lot of pain to himself. He knew he was going to go through so much pain. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if this cup can be removed from me, so be it. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew a thing or two about pain. Why? Because he knows what it is to love. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus so loved the world that he came and sacrificed himself for the people that he loved. If we're going to pick up our cross, we need to understand it's going to hurt. When you're wanting to serve people, when you're wanting to help people, there are moments it does hurt. For all of those that got here early this morning and you felt like sleeping in, but you got up early because you're on a roster and you've come to serve people, we want to say thank you. We realise those are the moments where we, we are picking up our cross and we are saying yes, not to our comfort, but we're saying yes to serving and yes to helping others. Can we put our hands together for all of our volunteers who serve week after week after week after week after week after week? And they don't get paid for that. They do it because they love people. They love this church and they love Jesus and they want to help. And sometimes you get out of bed with a spring in your step and a smile on your face. Other times it's like, oh. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you got out of bed this morning like, Oh, but you're here, you're here, and that means something, that's saying something, and so well done. This is what it's going to take for us to make an impact, is to embrace the hurt, because that's what love does. Love is a verb, it's a doing word, it's an action word, amen? So the first thing we can learn from this passage is that love hurts. Say it, love hurts. The second thing we can learn from this passage about carrying our cross is that God's measure is maturity. We see that in verses 18 to 19. Jesus said, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. But when you are older, others will dress you. And you'll go to places that you don't really want to go. What I love about God is that He meets us where we're at. I told a story last Sunday night, and it's one that I'm not proud of, but it's one that I'm grateful for because it highlights the goodness of God to me and how He meets us where we're at. But I'll never forget, when I was in my teenage years, I was at roller skating, and our pastor asked me this question, at roller skating. Now, for those who know me know I love roller skating, and the last thing I wanted was my pastor to interrupt my space and time when I was skating and talking about 
the possibility maybe of going into ministry. That was not my vibe. That was just not cool. It was kind of like not the time. I'm like, read the room, pastor. This is not the place or the space to have this conversation when I'm in my zone. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, I'm a teenager. Again, I'm not, I'm, this is not my finest moment. This is not my most mature moment, but I'm just trying to be as open and honest as I possibly can as I relive my teenage years while I was skating away at the Modbury Skate Line, which is now Clovercrest Baptist Church. And I, I kind of dismissed the notion of going into ministry and just skated off. And I'll never forget what took place that night as I lay in bed wrestling with why I was so afraid and why I was so um, not interested in the notion of going into ministry. People often ask me, how did you know the call of God on your life? I said, I promise you, I never wanted to be doing what I'm doing. It was not a childhood dream. In actual fact, if anything, it was a childhood nightmare. Because back in the day, pastoring wasn't as cool as pastoring is today. Would that be right, Pastor Danny? It it wasn't as cool. And so I just didn't want to do it. And as I probed a little further, and again, like Greg said, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I've learnt the ways of God and the prompts and the nudging. And I felt God nudging me with this question, what's so bad about ministry? And what I'm about to tell you is so shallow, so immature, and so pathetic, but I want to share it. And again, no disrespect for those that fall into this category, but it was where I was at. And I suppose for me, this is what it came down to. And again, there was a context to why I thought this. In the context of the church that I was in and the the movement that I was in, the general perception of pastors for me and those in ministry were that they were more overweight than I wanted to be. And they didn't seem to have much hair. (laughs) Now, if you fit into either of those categories, no judgment. I'm, I'm highlighting how immature I was. And how bad this way of thinking was. And this is what I presented to God. It is so bad. And and, and again, most of you might think, how superficial, how immature. And to that, I would say yes and amen. But shock of shocks. I felt God, God met me where I was at. And I didn't hear Him rebuke me for my shallowness, of which it was pretty shallow. And I didn't hear him rebuke me for my immaturity, of which it was pretty immature. But he met me where I was at. And I felt him, again, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I I felt God say to me, Tony, if you'll look after your body, I'll look after your hair. (laughs) Now, I don't know if your theology fits into that way of thinking. I, I don't know if your God is that loving that he would meet a young, immature, arrogant, egotistical young lad that his biggest problem for ministry is, is that stuff. I mean, there are bigger issues to deal with. And, 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 and you think about what was on God's plate in that season, some 30 odd years ago, there's wars, there, there's all kinds of things going on in the world and he's, and he's sitting there having this conversation with me. Well, I've made a commitment to looking after myself physically and God has certainly made a commitment to looking after my hair. In actual fact, my hairdresser says, Tony, your hair is getting thicker and thicker. It's like God is making good on his promises when it comes to that moment in my life. Some of you are saying, I should have prayed that in my teenage years. 
You have not because you ask not. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> but I say that to say this, that God will meet you in your immaturity. He will meet you where you're at. But I also know over the years, God loves me too much to leave me as I am. He loves me as I am. And that moment proved it. For him to meet me in that moment and to, to give me an answer in that way highlights just how much he loved me exactly as I was. In my immaturity, he loves me. But he loves me too much to leave me there. And if that was my theology today, and if that was my thing today, that, that, that it would suggest that I haven't really grown. God's measure is maturity. Paul says it this way in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Paul says, When I was a child, I talk like a child, understandably. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. See, becoming a man doesn't just happen by osmosis. Becoming a man or a woman of God doesn't just happen but with age. It happens by choice. Paul says, I put aside childish ways. I know many people today who are in their 30s and in their 40s, in their 50s and even older and they're still very childish because they haven't made a decision to embrace manhood. They haven't made the decision to embrace maturity. And God's measure and God's method is to get us to grow up. He wants us to grow and become more like Him. The goal for every one of us is to become more like Jesus. Jesus Himself is the goal of your faith. People say, what's your vision? What's your goal? Ultimately, as a church, I want this church to become more like Jesus. My life, I want to become more like Jesus. And when it comes to a church attendance and when it comes to serving, you have to ask yourself, what did Jesus do? And that's the answer. So when it comes to my church attendance, it shouldn't wane as I get older. It should become more of a conviction because that's what Jesus did. He went to the temple as was His custom. Our serving shouldn't wane as we get older. It should still be intact because that's what Jesus did. He came to serve, not to be served. He's the goal of our faith. And I trust and pray that in our journey of life, we would become more like Jesus and that we would become more gracious and that we'd become kinder and that we'd become softer when it comes to our growth and our walk. Does that make sense? You know, I was thinking about having Shane Willard here recently and, and what I love about Pastor Shane is that whatever church he speaks in, he's able to find common ground. He's amazing. Whatever church he goes to, he's able to find common ground. But for him, that's easy because by his own confession, he's a mercy-driven person. And what I know, when a mercy-driven person models mercy, that's awesome. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to see a mercy-driven person operate in their gift of mercy. But do you know, when you see someone who doesn't have a mercy gift grow and mature and model mercy, that's growth. That's a miracle. I mean, it's one thing when a mercy-driven person shows mercy. That's awesome. But when a non-mercy-driven person shows mercy, that's growth. That's testament to the change of Jesus Christ at work in your life. That's 
the miracle. People say, we need signs, wonders today. We need more miracles. I tell you, when a mercy-driven person shows mercy, that's awesome. But when a non-mercy-driven shows mercy, wow, that is a miracle. There are miracles all around us. That testimony of Greg is a miracle. If you know anything about Greg's history and you think about how he's living his life today, that, my friends, is a miracle. Amen? Thirdly, the third thing we can learn from this passage of Scripture is that rooms have responsibilities. Rooms have responsibilities. What I've learned, so many people want a room, but they don't necessarily want the responsibility. And to quote the great theologian Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. You see, a family is a room. Everyone wants a family, but that, that's a room. And that room has responsibilities. A promotion is a room. Everyone's a promotion. But a promotion is a room, and with that room comes responsibilities. Marriage is a room. And with that room comes responsibilities. You can't live as a single person and expect to have a healthy marriage. When I was single, I thought like a single. I reasoned like a single. But now I have to act like a married person. How's this one? Church is a room. And with it has responsibilities. See, we all want to get saved from hell, but this room has responsibilities. To receive what we receive. I was talking to Betty on her 90th birthday. She said, I love this place. It's kept me young. I love that. This house, church around the world, is an incredible place to find loved ones, to find a husband, to find a wife, to start a family, to find your gift, to exercise leadership. There's so many benefits and there's so many privileges, but coupled with that, there are responsibilities. And if we're going to truly enjoy church, we need to understand that. We have rights, but we also have responsibilities because church is a room. And with these responsibilities, it brings a weight. Would that be fair to say? It brings a weight. And we can feel, or it can feel, heavy at times. It's like, wow, how's your job? Oh, it's heavy, man. You get a promotion. How you got all this money? What, how was it? Oh, man, it's really heavy. Because responsibility brings weight. And if we're not careful, we look to shift the weight. How? By putting it somewhere else. Now what Peter did, I'm not saying this to single out Peter, I'm saying it because this is what we tend to do. When the weight's on us, we want to shift the weight. And what did Peter do? He said, what about him? When the pressure's on me because of the room I'm in, I want to bring someone else into the room to carry the weight. When Jesus is speaking to you about you, the temptation is to say, what about him? And maybe right now God is speaking to you about something in your life, your personal life, your private life. Maybe he's speaking to you about a habit. Maybe he's addressing something in your life that is unhealthy for you. But there's other Christians that are doing it. But Jesus is speaking to you about you doing it. And we will say, yeah, but others are doing it too. He say, yeah, that's got nothing to do with you. I'm talking to you. And so we find Peter struggling 
with this cross moment. And the way he responds is the way many of us respond by trying to lessen the heaviness and the weight of that moment by bringing someone else into the room. And Jesus said this, in love, I'm not talking to them. I'm not talking to him. And our conclusion can be that God is not fair. It's not fair. We've got three children and every one of our children have said that to me in those disciplining moments. I cannot think of one child that I haven't had this conversation with. I'm addressing something in their life and they'll say, what about them? Are there any parents who know what I'm on about? They want to bring the other kids into the room. And I say, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. And they say this, it's not fair which is a response from a young person who's immature, who hasn't grown up. But eventually we have to put immaturity to one side. Here's a newsflash. God is not fair. Why? Because he's not a socialist and he's not a communist. But he is a Lord. And he is right. And he is all-knowing. And he is all-seeing. And he has our best interests at heart. Let's not lessen our God to a socialist or a communist. Let him be Lord and Lord of all. Are you with me today? If we're going to truly pick up our cross, we have to remember he's Lord. He won't negotiate. He's not going to give everyone the same thing. In actual fact, if everyone was given the same amount of money, guess what would happen? eventually it would end up in the hands of those who are leaders and those who are business people and those who don't know how to handle money would lose it and would be exactly where we started. And so we're talking about picking up our cross and we need to understand that rooms have responsibilities. And my last point today is simply this, that meaning trumps detail. Meaning trumps detail. The band can come back, that would be fantastic. Meaning trumps detail. Jesus said this. This is amazing. You've got to get this. Now, these are the words of Jesus. If I don't want him to die, he won't. Jesus said that. And as a result of what Jesus said, the dogmatic and the emphatic said this. He's not going to die. And a rumour spread that John, because John was talking of himself, a rumour spread that John would not die. And there's a little... uh, Peace in brackets there that says, but he didn't say that. But he said it. In other words, they missed the point. Why? Because they were stuck on detail. And what I know is when we're trying to carry our cross and the weight of responsibility is there, and we want to move that weight of responsibility, we can get stuck on the detail, the things that don't really matter. And it's going to stop us embracing what God has asked us to do. So I want to say this, don't let certain detail cause you to miss the point, especially when it comes to the Bible. You know, ever since I've been around, there's been conjecture in the Scriptures as to how old the earth is. In Genesis chapter 1, 2 and 3, we, we read of God creating the world in six days. And someone said, no, well, it wasn't actually a literal six days. And smarter minds than me. And smarter minds than the smartest person in this room have sat in rooms and discussed over centuries whether it was a literal six days or or whether it took much longer than that. Is it a new earth or is it an older earth than we first thought? 
Now, I don't know about you, but those arguments can stop us in our tracks from picking up our cross and getting on with the job. And, and, and if, you're, if you're a six-day creation believer, amen. I, I have no trouble believing that God spoke and it was. I have no trouble believing that. I have no trouble that He did it in six days. In actual fact, if He did it in six minutes, it wouldn't surprise me. But you know what? If I get to heaven and I find out, hey, Tony, just want to have a quick word before you meet all the guys and all the girls. I just need to know that that thing that six days didn't actually happen. The world's a lot older than that. It actually took a lot longer. It took 60,000 years. I can live with that. Because whatever your view on Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 is, it doesn't change the meaning that God is creator, that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God is all powerful, that He has the whole world in His hands. And because I know that, I can face another day. Because I know that, I can pick up my cross and serve Him again. I don't want the trivial, I don't want the detail to rob me of that. There's conjecture over whether Job was a real person or whether it's a poem. Again, I can live with either. Because the context of that passage and what this man went through, in actual fact, I, I can believe Job was a very real person. Why? Because we have our very own Job amongst us, Pastor Danny. What you have been through and how you've handled yourself, it's Job-like and it's an inspiration to us. And I thank God for you. And whether Job was a, an actual person or whether it's a poem, I know that you've drawn strength from him and you've modelled something to us and I'm grateful. Amen. Who's grateful for Pastor Danny and his example? How come he's been able to pick up his cross? Because he's not stuck on the detail. He embraces the meaning. God's in control. When it comes to end times, we live in a crazy world. And we talk about the mark of the beast. Listen to me. Whether there's a bogeyman called the Antichrist, and this serum is a mark of the beast. I mean, seriously. Jesus never said, I want you to talk about that stuff. I want you to prioritise that stuff. In actual fact, when the disciples said, when are you going to come back and take your reign on planet Earth? He said, don't worry about that. Get on with the job. In Acts chapter 1, he said, don't worry about that stuff. No one knows the time except my Father in heaven. But I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. It's going to give you power to do. And so whether your understanding of the book of Revelation is more historical as it is for me, or whether it's more futurist as it is for others, it doesn't really change anything for me. Because this is what I know. In Christ, we win. The final word in the Bible is amen, let it be. In our very first building, in our very first service, we put up some banners. And on one of the banners, it said, we win. And people said, he's coming and saying, what do you mean we win? What does that mean? I said, what does we win mean? We win everything. We win. I've read the end of the book, we win. And if you have a futurist view, and there's an antichrist that comes and the church gets raptured out and we get saved from tribulation. Fantastic! It's not necessarily my leaning when it comes to theology, but if that's true, awesome, I was wrong. You mean I got sucked up and missed the tribulation? Fantastic! I'm happy to be wrong. 
But what about if I'm right and we have to go through tribulation? And your theology doesn't allow for that. I would rather believe for the best, but prepare for the worst. And what about all those saints, brothers and sisters over the last 2,000 years who have not been raptured or escaped their persecution or their tribulation? Where does that fit into it? But this is what I know for everyone who stood their ground. They get to be with Jesus in glory. And that's worth holding on to. So don't let the detail rob you of your meaning, of the meaning of why it was written in the first place. In this COVID crazy lockdown, wear mask situation, we should be the most purpose-driven, happy, excited, faith-filled people in every restaurant, in every school, in every university, in every workplace we go to. We should not be drawn down to the lowly discussions. Is is he going to die? Isn't he going to die? Hey, there was a rumour that John's not going to die. I mean, seriously? That is not what Jesus meant. It is not what He was talking about. And the church missed the point. We serve an incredible God. And I don't want the details to get in the way and distort the meaning. Likewise, let's not allow the hurt to distort the meaning. Let me say it another way. Don't let the point be lost because of the pain. Why is it that so many people come to Christ in their teenage years, but by their 20s, 30s and 40s they're done? Because they let the pain of what happened to them at church or what the pastor said, or what the connect group leader said, or what happened to them, or unanswered prayer. They've let the pain get in the way of the point. They've let what he said or what she said get in the way of what matters most. Don't allow the pain, the hurt, the misunderstandings to rob you of your meaning. I've been in this church as long as anybody. I think that's fair to say. Kath and I and a small group of people pioneered this church. We've been around from day one. We've seen people come, we've seen people go. We've had lots of people say very kind things. We've had a few people say really horrible things. And where it always lands for me with those horrible things is this. Why are you doing this? I didn't do it as a popularity competition. We did it because we want to help people. We want to serve people. We want to make a difference. Are you with me today, church? So let's not get caught up in the he said and the she, she said. Too many churches are filled with he said, she said conversations and it's to miss the point. Our point of gathering here today is not to meet in the cafe and just talk about people in a negative light. It's to lift up the name of Jesus. It's to get a higher perspective is to recalibrate our meaning and understanding and purpose of why we are here. I don't know about you, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to church. I woke up and the first thing I said to Kath today, I said, oh wow, Kylie's leading worship for the first time today. I was excited about that. I was, ex- I was actually excited about that. So I can't wait to get to church, see Kylie lead worship. And if you come tonight, Taylor's leading worship for the first time tonight. It's just exciting. I I love that thought. I love it. I love it. I love it. And my prayer is that we would indeed pick up our cross. And when we feel ourselves putting it down, understandably, it gets tough. I get it. 
But let's not give up. Let's not give in. Will you stand with me this morning? We all have a cross to carry. The question is, will we pick it up? Will we pick it up? Father, we thank you that we have an incredible example in Jesus who not only picked up the cross, but was faithful to the very end. And we draw inspiration. We draw strength from that incredible example. And I pray today that we would pick up our cross, that we wouldn't give up, that we wouldn't give in, but that we would be able to stand our ground for such a time as this. If this world ever needed to see consistency, love and persistency, it's now. So may You grant us strength. May You grant us all that we need for life and godliness, not to get caught up in the detail, but to hold on to the purpose and the meaning of why we've been left here on planet Earth, to bring Christ, to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring love, to bring peace to this world, to this broken, hurting, lost world. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.